grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What a great morning of worship it is today. What a great morning of worship we had last week. I don't know if you were here last week. We had baptisms just like we had this week. Uh, we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Uh, and the Word of God was spoken through uh, one of our friends and St. John's family members. Is he still back there? Oh, no, he left. The guy behind the drums, Bill Lawrence, uh, gave us such a great testimony last week. And I hope that you were blessed like I was and I said to him, you did such a good job. I was like, can you preach this morning for me? Because the World Cup is on. And uh, he was like, I'm playing drums. So it looks like you're going solo today, buddy. All right? So, all right, don't tell me about the World Cup score, okay? I'm going to watch it when I get home, all right? Do not mention anything if you're checking your phones during the... And for those of you who don't know what the World Cup is, which is probably 95% of you, uh, <clears throat> that's where the whole world plays soccer together, all right? So the finals are right now. The World Cup finals right now. So anyway... One of the cool things that Bill mentioned last week was how God's grace, that same grace that was washed over little Austin this morning in the water and the word, that grace of God which comes to us in all sorts of ways, baptism, Lord's Supper, the word, uh, our fellow Christians, comes to us in all sorts of ways. That grace, his grace, brings us his peace. And his peace leads us to joy. And as Bill talked about it last week, he talked about how that joy can even be experienced in, in the midst of some of the hardest times in our lives. Bill talked about his wife Patty's death and his mom's death and how you're still able to experience the joy of the Lord in the midst of such challenging time. And it got me thinking a lot about that this past week and about our text for today from Psalm 126. And it got me thinking about every human being, I believe, wants joy in their lives. They want a deep-seated joy that kind of gets us through and get, helps us view the past and sort of helps us walk our lives. And we, we see some of the manifestations of joy in our life. A lot of times when we have joy in our life, it manifests in smiles. It manifests in laughter. It manifests in singing songs. It manifests at times in feeling good, enjoyment. We want joy. As we talked last week, though, the true path to a deep-seated joy is through God. Our psalm today is going to talk, and it's going to unpack that whole thing. But before we get into it, I kind of wanted us to think about how sometimes we in our lives and in our culture, we are tempted to take the quick and easy path to what we perceive to be joy. Because deep-seated joy, because it, sometimes it manifests itself in smiles and laughter and good feelings and songs of joy, sometimes we want to skip the long journey of joy and we want to go to the byproduct of it. Pastor Eugene Peterson, who writes a lot on uh, the Psalms that we're looking at, the Psalms of Ascent, he says, and he's, in many ways, this guy is a prophetic voice speaking into the American culture. And he's analyzing the American culture, and he states that too often we seek to find the results of joy through entertainment. He says we pay for it. We pay for jokes, and we pay for stories, and we pay for dramas, we pay for music. He says the fact that in, in America we have this huge, bigger than any part of the world, enormous entertainment industry. He says that's indicative of a depletion of joy in our entire culture. 
Our society has become so bored that it employs the court jester to divert itself to try and get a sort of joy. Peterson says that that sort of joy that, that our culture and we at times are going off after, it doesn't really penetrate deep into our lives. It doesn't change our basic constitution. It's temporary. It lasts minutes, maybe hours, and if you're lucky, maybe days. And maybe you can resonate with that in your own life. Movies, Netflix binges, music, concerts, comedians, cruises, vacations, those things in themselves, they're not bad things. In many ways, those things are gifts from the, from the God creator himself. They're gifts to us. But sometimes we take those gifts and we replace God with them. We replace joy with the results of joy. We make them the source of joy and it leaves us wanting. We do this with all sorts of things in our lives. But we're given an opportunity today to really think about what it means to cultivate a life of joy. A life that is deeply fulfilling and a life that in many ways is highly contagious. Psalm 126 speaks to that. Now, Psalm 126, it's what we call a psalm of ascent, ascending, going up. And some people think that, well, okay, there's 15 of them from 120 to 134. Some people think that, well, there was 15 steps up into the Israelite court of the temple in Jerusalem. And so these psalms were kind of sung and prayed on each of the different steps. And others say that, no, these were more of the psalms of the pilgrims. I kind of like this approach. The pilgrims would journey. They would ascend up to Jerusalem. They would do this one, two, three times a year. They would go up to Jerusalem. And on their way up to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. They would pray these psalms. They would experience them together. As together, they were journeying toward Jerusalem. And it kind of makes us ask the question, what are the songs that we sing together on our way up to Jerusalem? What are the prayers that we pray together on our way up to Jerusalem? Psalm 126 is a prayer. It's a song. And it's given to us by God for our journey to him. To help us. To inform us. To guide us and to lead us on a pilgrimage. Not a, not a tourist. Not a quick vacation but a pilgrimage that takes a long time, a path of discipleship, a way to God the Father as we travel with Jesus who is the way. And so let's take a look at it. It'll be on the screen. It's right there in your uh, handout as well. You might want to look at that too because I'm going to jump around a little bit. You can write notes and do that sort of thing. Or if you went old school and brought the Bible, bust that thing out. All right. 126 verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dreamed. So let's stop there on that verse. Look at it there. If you look up there, you see, first off, restored, were, and dreamed. These are all words that are in the past tense. The psalmist is singing these songs. He's talking about the past. And it says there, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. What is he talking about? What he's talking about is that the Israelites, they were overcome by this great big people called the Babylonians. They were overcome and taken away by the Babylonians because they had made some terrible choices in their life and they were reaping the consequences of those choices. The Babylonians came in, took them away, made them march 600 miles across the desert and they endured terrible things for decade after decade. Things that we can't even mention because we got children in the room today. 
And the Israelites felt like they, as a people, they were over. They were done. That God would not restore or redeem them. But like a dream come true, the Babylonians were overthrown. The new power came in. They returned to Jerusalem. They returned to Zion. They rebuild the city and the temple. They returned to God. And it's saying, we were like those who dreamed. It was like a dream come true. We couldn't believe it, that we were back. We're home. And so in verse 2, they continue on. Because of that deliverance, because of that freedom, they said our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. And it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Now up to this point, sort of talking about the past, talking about what God has done. And then in verse 3, it continues on. It says, the Lord has done great things for us. The people are like, that's right. They said the Lord has done great things for us. They're saying, yes, we agree with you. The Lord has done great things for us. But then you'll notice a shift here. The songwriter is no longer talking about the past. And he moves to the present. He says, we are filled with joy. We are filled with joy. Then in verse 4, it continues on, and it starts to move to the future. It changes from the psalm writers and the psalm singers singing to each other, and this happens in the psalms all the time. The person changes. They're talking to each other, then they're talking to God, then God's talking to them. It's all over the place. It's awesome. Their prayer is directed to God. And he says in verse 4, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. It moves to the future. It's a request for the future. The Negev was, is a desert. And it's kind of like if you go out to the desert and they have a flash flood all of a sudden and this new life just comes out of nowhere. Flowers bloom. New life comes because of the water. The psalmists are saying our lives may enter the desert again and when we go into the desert again, maybe it's going to be years, maybe it's going to be decades of waiting. Lord, bring your grace, your invasion of grace into our lives and bring new life. And then in verse 5, it moves to the future. It says those who sow with tears... Will, right? Those who sow with tears, those who are in the desert crying, those who cast out the seed in grief and pain and anguish, they will reap what? Songs of joy. Verse 6, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them, bringing the harvest in. It goes from past to present to future. But in the Psalms, this Hebrew poetry is so awesome. If you could study the Psalms, you could study them forever. But what happens in the Psalms often is that the thing that's really important is given right in the middle of the psalm. And right in the middle of the psalm, the psalmist writes and sings and prays in the present tense, we are filled with joy. Verse 3, look in your handout, there it is. But it's surrounded by the past and it's surrounded by the future. The Israelites could look at the past and they could see God's generous hand working great works in their lives, returning them from exile. And what we learn here in the text, what we learn from the psalm is that joy has a history. It's important to nurture the memory of God's great work in your life to bring you joy in the present. It's important to fill our mind of God's stories and his good acts in the past because joy is nurtured by living in such a history, by basing our life on such a foundation. 
And it allows us to say in verse 3 that we are, we are filled with joy. But then as it moves into verse 4, 5, and 6, it talks about the future. The joy has a future. Joy is nurtured by anticipation and by expectation that if he did it in the past, he's going to do it in the future. If our God has delivered us in the past, he will deliver us in the future. What we have known of him in the past will be true of him in the future. You see, joy builds on the past, and it borrows from the future, and it expects certain things to happen. It expects that even if we've been walking for decades in the Negev desert, that God will bring the reins of his grace and bring new life eventually. It expects that if we sow with weeping, that we will eventually reap sheaves and we will sing songs of joy and bring in a produce. The psalm is giving us permission to cast the seed of suffering, to cast the seed of pain, to cast the seed of emptiness, to cast the seed of disappointment into God. And he will bring a crop of joy from it. You see, the writer of Psalm 126 was, was, not, living in, was not living in Orange County. I mean, we live practically in heaven. The writer of Psalm 26 was not a stranger to the dark side of life. The memory of the exile, perhaps even scars on their bodies for being beaten, the deserts of weeping, the decades of captivity, of hopelessness. And so here they're saying we are filled with songs of joy. We are filled because he's done great things for us. And we get to have a glimpse and we get a reality that says for Christians, laughter can be part of our life, but it doesn't exclude weeping. Christian joy is not escape from sorrow Pain and hardship have been in the past and they will come, but they cannot drive out the joy that we have in the Lord. Maybe you see it in your life. I mean, we could, we, could, we could give little examples. We could give huge examples. We could give little in-between examples of how we've experienced the past and the future to inform our present. And I was thinking about it, and, and, and Bill's story last, last week really drove me to think about all the different times in my life when this has been true. And, it, and I was driven to a, a one time a number of years ago when my family had the best Thanksgiving meal in the middle of August. It was like 100 degrees outside. My family had gone through a really tough, difficult situation. I had lost a lot of hope. I was not seeing things clearly. I was disillusioned and disappointed and afraid and scared. And in the middle of that, some friends of ours brought over a Thanksgiving meal in the middle of August. And I remember still sitting at the table with my family gathered around eating all the Thanksgiving stuff. And for a moment there, we were laughing and we were singing songs of joy. And we were remembering everything that God had done for us in our lives. We were remembering back to the things like when, when we were baptized as children. Remembering back when God had brought someone into our life to speak a word of hope. Remembering a time when things and circumstances seemed hopeless, but God brought hope into them and changed the direction. He'd done it before. And in the middle of this hard, very difficult time in our life, we had a moment of joy because we knew that what he had done in the past, he would do in the future. And we were filled with a deep-seated joy. You probably could list a whole bunch of those things like that. Joy in the present. 
is based on God's work in the past and the expectation of his work in the future. Pastor Eugene Peterson, he says this, he says, a common but futile strategy for achieving joy, what we try to do in our lives, he says, is we try to eliminate everything that hurts us. We're going to get rid of pain by numbing the nerve ends. We're going to get rid of insecurity by eliminating risk. We're going to get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing the relationships that we're in. And he says, when you start to live that sort of life, you become very bored. And when you become very bored, you try to pay for joy and entertainment and all sorts of things. That's not what's going on in Psalm 126. Psalm 126 is joyous laughter, joyous song. The smiles of joy and the feelings of joy are the result of living in the midst of God's great work in the past, in the future, informing the present. Just like these fellow believers who prayed and saying this 2,000 plus years ago, we too is God's people. We can look back. Ultimately, Jesus delivered us from captivity to sin when he died for us on the cross. That's the past. And he promised to lead us up Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem to ascend to that when he comes again. That, my friends, is the future. Because of that big, great, awesome meta-narrative, we are allowed to be filled with joy in the present. But, my friends, that's the macro picture. That's the big story. But that big story guides and informs our little stories, the micro pictures of our lives right now. And I pray that you will let the framework of this psalm guide your life, even in the small things, even in the big things, and all the things in between. I'd like for you this week to take a homework assignment home and to maybe even list out, write out, talk with your family, talk with those close to you, and remember all the good works of God in your life. Brooklyn, you're going to have to remind Austin about this big work of God in her life today, right? It's a big one. Reminded of God's great big works in our lives. And I hope that you will look into the future and expect him to do that. And I pray that somehow, as we talked about by his grace, which is sufficient for us, we can experience a deep-seated joy in the present.